to the Faith Covenant Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy our next installment of our Live Your Why series. Good morning. My name is Pastor Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Covenant Church, and uh, it's my pleasure pleasure to uh, be here with you guys this morning. I just want to remind you guys, as I've been reminded, that God is a God of peace. And even in amongst our chaos, and even amongst all the things that are happening in our lives and the circumstances around us, that God is a God of peace. And uh, and when we latch on to him and when we uh, cling to him, that he can give us peace in that chaos, he can give us strength when we're struggling, and he can uh, see us through. And so be, be reminded of that, as I have been, that no matter what's going on in our circumstances, our God is good, and he is present with us. So will you guys join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God, that you are a God of peace, a God of love, um, that you're with us even when we struggle, even when our circumstances are out of our control, that um, you are there walking beside us, and you promise to never leave us or forsake us. God, I'm thankful for that, and God, may we be reminded about that as um, we step into worship with you this morning as we hear from your word. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth and wisdom, Lord. May it take root in our lives and bear fruit, bringing you glory, honor, and praise. And God, may the words from my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, if you've just joined us, we are in the middle of a sermon series called uh, Living Your Why. And it's uh, kind of piggybacking off a series that we did this fall calling, um, called uh, Know Your Why. And so I kind of want to just give you a little bit of recap. If you missed us and you haven't listened to those sermons, um, I don't want to do, uh, go full into it because we have those sermons online. And so if you want to listen on our podcast or watch the videos, you can check out those uh, sermons from the fall and also Kurt's previous two sermons on this series and kind of just catch up and kind of figure out what, what we're all talking about here. But a great way to summarize it is our why is the intersection of where our passions and the will of God meet. Our passions are how God has created us, who we are, our personality, uh, how we uh, view the world, our perceptions, and then uh, also what interests us, our passions and who we are, like what interests we have, um, what we're drawn to, and then also our life circumstances. That kind of just all encompasses kind of who we are, our passion, or who we are, our why on a personal level, but it also intersects with God's will. God's overarching narrative that we are all a part of, whether we realize it or not. And, and as Christians, we step into that narrative as an active part as we co-labor with him in uh, what he has in store for this world. His plan for creation, his plan for redemption, and his plan for our lives. And so as we understand that about our God and we begin to understand ourselves uh, more deeply and how God has fearfully and wonderfully made each and every one of us, then we, we meet this intersection where we figure out what our why is. And so that was our fall sermon series, and now we're stepping in. How do we live into that why? How do we live into who God has called us to be? How do we step into that? And it's important because, it, one, it's how, who God's called us to be. Like, <laughs> I think if we, if we want to worship our God and creator, then that should be a desire of our heart. We want to figure out how God has wired us. And as we figure that out, we can step into that. 
And it's important for us to know that too on a corporate level as a church, because this is a beautiful mosaic of people around here. Look around. All of us are different. All of us come from different backgrounds, different life experiences. All of us have different perspectives on the world, different educational backgrounds, different social economical status, different races. Some of us grew up here in the state of Washington. Some of us grew up in another continent. We all have come together as the body of Christ in this church. And this is the part of the body of Christ is a beautiful mosaic of people. And so as we understand ourselves and we understand God's will, we understand that we're a part of a, a greater community of the body of Christ then we realize that stepping into our why, living into our why is important because not only for us individuals, but for us as a corporate body too. Because God has placed a mission and a vision for each and every one of us individually and for this church. And Kurt's been talking a lot about that, and I get excited about what God is beginning to unpack for us as a church. Kurt has... uh, use this uh, phrase, inflection point, that we as a church, as a global church, are kind of reaching this inflection point. And an inflection point is the starting point at which something begins to change. So if you all can go back to your algebra days and be reminded of the bell curve, right? Those axes, those x's and y's and those equations, it brings me nightmares, but uh, we'll use that for the image right now. But just before the change, the curve begins to happen, there's a point Change hasn't happened yet, but it's the beginning of the change. That's what, yeah, we still got the graph. All right, sweet. (laughs) That's where it is. Just at that point, that little intersection right there where the red line and the black line meets. is our inflection point. And that we're in this place right now where there's some change happening. And not the kind of like surface change of like, hey, we're going to change our style of music or we're going to change this, but the important kind of change, the change of us engaging our culture, us um, reaching uh, our community here, the kind of change where we go into a deeper relationship of God where it it revolutionizes our lives. And as Kurt has mentioned too, uh, when we reach this point where there needs to be change, innovation is often required. And innovation takes three steps. Imagination, implementation, and integration. And so Kurt talked quite a bit about last week about what um, imagination is. And that's where, you know, just thinking up new possibilities, being open uh, to the Holy Spirit, uh, thinking outside of the box, being willing to change. But then once we got kind of that vision and that mission, then it takes integration to make that stuff happen. And if you have integration, it, it sometimes takes a while, but pretty soon, or sorry, implementation, and then it becomes integration. It becomes integrated into your life. Think of a habit that maybe you've started, maybe a bad one, maybe a good one, <laughs> and how it started out as an idea, <clears throat> and then uh, it began to become a practice, and the next thing you know, it's just something you do. As many of us get older, we have our routines, and some of them can be uh, even pet peeves for our spouses <laughs> as some of our routines. You know, I, I just visited my family, and I know my dad. My dad still has a similar routine that he's always had, but the, the form has changed. He used to get up, have his coffee on his days off, and he'd just sit at the table and read the newspaper for like an hour. 
And uh, that's changed. Now he has his iPad, and he's sitting there scrolling <laughs> on his iPad. <laughs> and, uh, but his routine is pretty similar. My dad's pretty predict- predictable, and some of us can be very predictable too in our spiritual lives and even as a church, a global church and our church. But in order to have change, in order for an innovation to happen, it requires that imagination and that implementation. And as we've been talking about this and as Kurt's uh, shared his ideas about the sermon series, there's a story that's been in the back of my mind about a corporation who struggled to innovate. Or I would say, actually, they struggled to implement their innovations. Many of you are probably familiar with Kodak, a company that has existed until 2012 when it went bankrupt. It was a pretty thriving company. They uh, produced photos, right? They made, you look on the back of any of your older photos and it probably says Kodak on the back of that paper, that high gloss or maybe not so high gloss. I know when I was in college and high school, I used Kodak's disposable cameras because I didn't want to buy a camera and break it. (laughs) And I would take that disposable uh, camera with me to my cross-country meets or any trips I took, and I would take as many pictures were on that camera and then turn it in and get my pictures back a couple weeks later. And they would all be on that Kodak paper. They were leading the industry for such a long time. But as as we know now, digital photography is, is what happens. We all could take Really, really good photos if you got a new iPhone (laughs) that are better than a lot of the cameras. Things have changed. The funny thing about their story is they helped make some of the innovations that we have today happen. Did you guys know in 1975, they actually developed the digital camera? They developed the digital camera. So you would think that maybe in the course of their corporate, corporate history, that they would begin to, as they innovate, they would begin to uh, implement some of these new ideas into their corporate identity and into their practices. But it was met with resistance. It was met with resistance for decades as the digital age began to progress and progress. They only saw themselves as a chemical and paper company. In fact, they bought businesses that sold chemicals and paper They didn't see themselves as a tech company at all. In fact, that that idea was kind of new, especially in the 80s and 90s. Those things were starting to happen, but they didn't see themselves as a tech company because they were in their rut. They knew what drew profits. They knew what they needed to do, and they they failed to imagine and especially implement some of the tech that they were going. The crazy story is I read this in Forbes um, as I was preparing my sermon is that they actually developed a digital camera that helps you look at your photos before you printed them. (laughs) So you could see the preview of what your photo would look like, but you still had to print the pictures. That was just kind of the clunkiness of the corporation. So not much longer as they failed to implement, as they failed to let go of some of their corporate identity, and they failed to make the changes they needed to do to be relevant in the marketplace. They slowly, slowly declined in their stock shares. I grew up in Colorado. There was a big, big Kodak plant in Windsor, Colorado, not too far from where I lived. And that shut down. So I saw some of the ramifications of their lack of implementing the the things they were innovating on. 
And pretty soon other companies like Sony came in with digital cameras and uh, took some of the things they had failed to patent and made things happen in a way that exploded the digital camera market. And now, my parents have a frame that has a digital frame instead of, you know, photos. And now we, we share our photos on our phone with our friends and over social media. We rarely have those hard copies. This company failed um, to innovate fully. They imagined, but they didn't implement the things that they were creating. So what does this look like for a church? What does this look like for a Christian community? Because obviously we're not a corporation, and I would hate for us to get stuck in that idea that we're a corporation, because we're not. We're not in it for profit. We're not in it for those things. Our, our story is different. But I think some of the, the, the lessons that we can pull from that story uh, about implementing and change and uh, integrating things into our lives is important. And we see it with the disciples and the early church. We see that Jesus, which Kurt had mentioned last week, the way, a lot of the early followers were called the way, they were following the way. Jesus was showing them a new path, showing them a new way to live. They would follow him all around the Sea of Galilee as he spoke to you know, hundreds and thousands of people. As they watched him heal people, as he um, cast out demons, as he taught them about life, he was showing them a new way, <clears throat> a new way to live. He gathered disciples, the 12, and then there's even the 72, and then there was the hundreds that followed too. And he didn't just cast this vision and talk about it. He just didn't say, hey, this is, this is the life. But he helped his disciples integrate. He helped them to implement what he was teaching. We read in Mark 6, 7 through 13, it says, The calling of um, calling the 12 to him, this is Jesus, he began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money for in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there and, until you leave that town. And if any, any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony to them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So Jesus wasn't just in the business of casting vision and showing people a new way. Jesus was also in the business of training up disciples and sending them out. And this is an important piece because I think sometimes as Christians and as the church, sometimes we wait we, we wait for uh, that we have enough training and that uh, we're perfectly ready and we understand the Bible completely. So if we have any questions, but I want to point out that this is in the middle of Jesus's ministry and these disciples that he had, they weren't scholars. They weren't people that already knew the Old Testament front and back. They had just been spending a year or so with Jesus and that's it. They probably didn't feel equipped they probably didn't feel like, hey, I, I know what he's talking about, this, this heaven on earth, and that he, you know, and they're starting to get this idea that we need to repent for our sins and that this is the Messiah, that he's come to save us. 
But as we read later in Scripture, we realize that they didn't really even have a full grasp of what that meant until he died and rose again. But yet Jesus equipped them and sent them out. And I think some of that, that's true for us too, is as we learn about our vision and mission as a, a church, as we listen to God and his Holy Spirit about what he's calling us to, that there's a, there's a point where we listen, but there's also a point where we need to take out a step and start implementing what we're learning. I think about this with the love of God. If I, I don't fully grasp the love of God, it's, according to Scripture, it's beyond my comprehension, and I feel that way oftentimes because I don't feel like, man, why would God love me? Why would God love me so much that no matter what I do, he still loves me, that he forgives me for my sins, that he sees me through the times when I constantly fail him, when I know what I need to do what's right, but choose the other, and yet God shows up. Like, I begin to understand. I don't understand that love. It, it, it hurts my mind to think about. Yet I'm called to try to love others in the same way. If I wait until I've fully arrived, which I don't think is going to happen on this side of heaven, then I've missed the point. I need to start living that out now. I need to start loving people as best as I can. As I've received from God, I need to give back to other people. That's true for us on an individual level, but also true for us as a church. How are we reaching out in love to our community? Because what we got going on on a Sunday morning is awesome. (laughs) I like it here. You know, but if, if it's only about Sunday morning and who comes through that door who's new, I, I, I don't know what the current demographics are of Sumner, but I think we're close to uh, 10,000 people here. And we, we got a greater reach than just Sumner here. But if we just focus on Sumner, there's 10,000 people in Sumner. And if the stats I remember um, from reading Christianity Day is less than 10% of people attend church on a regular basis. And so what is that? It's like a thousand people-ish. Maybe we have a few more attending church on a regular basis here in Sumner. So that means the harvest is plentiful for us to be reaching out. That means there's, maybe we need to think about ways and innovate new ways that we can be engaging in our community. I know Kurt has got some stuff set up in this next month that's going to be unveiling some of the things that uh, staff and leadership have been talking about, but also an opportunity on our fourth uh, Tuesdays for you guys to come. Because like I said at the very beginning, our church is a beautiful mosaic of people. It's not just up to us as a staff and as our leadership team, but it's up to you guys. God has given you guys passions. God has given you guys people in your life to reach out to you. you. All of us have a different sphere of influence here in this building. And when we come together, when we come together unified in the vision and mission of what we think God is calling us to, then there's power behind that. And so part of Kurt's intention with those Fourth Tuesdays is to come here, to share what's on your mind, to share about the stories that God has been doing in your life and with the people around you to encourage each other, but then also to talk more about what can we be doing more. It's important for us to engage in these conversations as a community. We also have our annual meeting that's happening at the March 6th that we'd love for you guys to be a part of too. 
And so you're going to hear a little bit about like what God has been calling us to as a staff and as a leadership team, but also these opportunities for you to have input and for you to express your desire and your passions for reaching our community for Christ. I want to bring up, I kind of got sidetracked. <laughs> that was later in my sermon. But Holy Spirit changed my mind there, I guess. So <laughs> but that's where we're at. And I, I look at the early church in the book of Acts, after Pentecost, and what if they had failed to imagine and implement? We read in uh, Acts chapter 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled in awe, with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was radical. This was different than what was going on with the Jewish people at the time. Culturally, they would show up to the temple, hear a reading from the scroll, probably one of the, um, the priests would give their interpretation of it, kind of like what we got going on right now, a little sermon, and then they would head off. That was it. But this was different. They would still meet there for some teaching, but then they would devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they would go to each other's homes, and they enfolded all these new people. And what was happening was they were creating a new family, a new group of believers, but imagine if they hadn't done that. <laughs> imagine if they just kept doing the same thing. What would have happened? What would have happened to the early church? If they just kept meeting in temples and they didn't enfold the new people into their lives? If they didn't care for their needs as they came in? If they didn't have open doors to people that weren't like them? Because at first, as we read through Acts and I'm just going to give you an overview. At first we read through Acts, this is mainly the Jewish people, okay? This is mainly Jews who realize that Jesus was the Messiah. They've had an encounter with Christ um, through the Holy Spirit and listening to the apostles. And I'm like, okay, I'm about this. I want to be a part of this community. But pretty soon there was Gentiles and other people that were outside of the Jewish community that began to hear about this. And this was not normal. Samaritans, Gentiles, people that normally the Jewish people didn't associate with because they were unclean, began knocking at their doors, began eating and breaking bread together at tables. And when I think about that, I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's a hope of what uh, heaven is going to be like. We're all gathered together at a table, um, eating with Christ, and there's going to be a plethora of people <laughs> that are not like Jeff Kaiser <laughs> at that table. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. But that's not just for heaven, that's for here. That's for right now, too. That's part of what God's called us to. And they enfolded people into their, king, uh, into their family, in their new family. But it just doesn't stop there. That was a beautiful thing, but as situations progressed, they began to get persecuted for this. And so the church scattered. And all of a sudden, you had people, local people, leading times of worship in their homes. They weren't relying on other leaders. 
They, became, they began to implement what they had been taught. Okay, I'm supposed to love these people. I'm supposed to care for these people. I'm supposed to share what I've been taught with these people. And they began to do it. And I think God orchestrated that church scatter. <laughs> and then pretty soon, you got Paul and other people being missionaries, spreading the good news of Christ, impacting communities. And people are implementing and integrating this, the whole gospel into their lives in a way that had hands and feet to it. It wasn't just head knowledge, but they had hands and feet. They were, they were beginning to be the church. So implementation is important as we do this. It is where the hope is. Because we can talk, I can preach vision and mission up here. Kirk can talk that. And, uh, and part of our jobs as leaders in the leadership team, too, is to help us as a congregation implement this. And so we got stuff, and we want to hear from you, and we, we're excited to see what God has in the store in this next month with all the meetings that we have where we can get into this together and hear what God has for us. So what does this mean for us? I think it means that... Uh, we have to be careful that we can get stuck in our ways of thinking and in our actions as Christians. That we can get comfortable with just the people that we know and forget to enfold people in. I think uh, we can get stuck just showing up to church on a Sunday and singing some great songs and, and hearing a guy talk about the Word of God and then saying hi to a few people and leaving and going and having lunch. And that could be part of our habit, a good habit. I'll add, <laughs> but that could just be the extent of our faith and our impact as a church, that that could be it. And we hope some people will come in here who are new and feel like this is a part, they could be a part of our family. We can get stuck there. But as God has shown this church and as God has shown the global church is that we don't have to stay there and he's got bigger things for us in store and then he has got a bigger perspective than we have. And that his will will always prosper. And so if we choose to step into our wives, we choose to step into implementing what he is calling us to do, that God is going to bless that. And God is going uh, to grow his kingdom in a way. And it's not like I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about souls being saved. Because my heart is I just, I, wanna, I would love to see a whole town saved for the Lord. <laughs> I would love to see that. And it doesn't matter if they come to this church or the church across the street, but as long as they're hearing the gospel and as long as they're being discipled and as long as they're experiencing Christ's love through his people, then that's a win. That's a win for the kingdom. And we as a church can be a part of that in conjunction with other churches that are doing the same thing because it's not just about faith covenant. It's about the kingdom of God. And so for us in, individually, we got to remember that we have been entrusted with something. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Then you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and that the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. We got a gift through the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's grace that I know has transformed my life, and I know has transformed many of your lives. But that gift is not just for us to hold. That gift is for us to give to others. And so 
I want to encourage you individually to think about that. Think about the way God has wired you. Think about the people God has placed in your life. Think about his will for your life and what it looks like to work, step in, to work in step with God for his kingdom. And then think about what we have as the possibilities as we join together in unity as a church. Begin to imagine what maybe God has in store for us. Maybe there's some things that we've done for a long time that maybe we need to rethink that. I don't know what those are. I'm just posing the question right now. I'll let you guys do the hard work. <laughs> We're doing it too, so don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> and corporately, we can, <clears throat> we can begin to think about this as what we can do to advance the kingdom of God. Because it, it doesn't just, it's, just not brain, it's just not brainstorming. It's also implementation. What gifts do we have to offer our community? Not just at this church, but around us. And so I want to leave you with that this morning. I want to leave you with this. That God is calling us to implement what he's given us. And so first we kind of got to figure out what that is. Maybe you already know what that is. Maybe you need help figuring out what that is. You know, Pastor Kurt and myself would love to talk to you about that. Meet with you, hear what your passions and convictions are, and maybe your perspective of how you see things and how we can join together and reach our community. So where has God got you in that? And I want to I encourage you to, uh, to step into it, to implement some of the things that God has given you. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you that you're a good God. I thank you that you have a plan. <laughs> and uh, it's bigger than what we would ever imagine for ourselves. But through your Holy Spirit's power, you give us insight to what you're calling us to. And it's uh, through your body that we're able to do that. So God, as, as we imagine, as we try to innovate, as we just look to the future and to your vision and mission that you have for us, Lord. God, I pray that you would just give us courage to step in, um, to walk in step with your spirit, Lord, and to implement the things in our lives that we need to implement to help us reach others for your kingdom. God, we thank you that you don't leave us or forsake us, that this isn't just up to us, that you are with us in this. You equip us just like you equipped those disciples as you sent them out. You didn't leave them to fumble and figure it out on their own, but you equipped them. You told them what to bring. You told them where to go. And you told them how to come back. And then you do that with each and every one of us too. So God, may we trust you. God, may we be bold for you. And God, may we love others like you love us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.